Hello, people of the way. Uh, we're going to continue our study through the book of Acts, and Lord willing, uh, we'll finish the chapter. Kind of a loaded chapter. You heard me say a couple weekends ago, uh, you know, it's a loaded, loaded chapter. And um, wow, look at all the things that we've studied thus far, just in one chapter alone. You know, we get the, you hear the saying, where God guides, God provides. You know, that's not just, uh, you know, like a, a nice phraseology. You know, you see the apostles, they get the Macedonian call, this small entourage of beautiful, beautiful godly men. They get the Macedonian call. And through it all, you see God's provision. You know, and a little special message for women. Look at all these beautiful women that we've seen thus far in one chapter. You see Eunice, you see Lois, you know, the mom and grandma of, of young Timothy. We see Lydia. We see the, her little women's group. And then, you know, there's also the slave girl who's been freed now from the demon. And so you see there's, wow, it's just such a loaded chapter. So, you know, Acts 16 is one of my favorite chapters. In the entire Bible. I have a, a whole lot of favorite chapters. But I often reflect. I think quite possibly I reflect the most on Acts 16. And here you know you see uh, that where God guides, God provides. But then at the same time his provision. It's not associated with carnal thinking. A lot of times when you hear people talk about God's provision. They're speaking about money. A lot of times, the majority of times, when people talk about the Lord's provision, they're speaking about money. But, you know, when you read the Bible and you read about God's provision, very few times do you see money. I mean, there are cases where there is money. You know, I think about Nehemiah when he's with Atacerses and he's given the call, hey, go back to Jerusalem. And then at the same time, you know, the king says, oh, Nehemiah, don't worry about funding. I'm going to pay for it. God's provision. And you see, you know, this slave girl that we studied last week, she's now free. She's been, you know, she was possessed and now the demon came out of her. And then we're going to kick off in verse 19 where we left off. Kind of a, you know, it, it, it's, it, we kind of cut off like in the middle of like what was happening. But where we left off, I think, was very, very appropriate because you see victory in Jesus Christ. It's not without opposition. Not without opposition at all. Because look what happens here in verse 19. You see opposition. Verse 19. But when her masters, this is about the demon-possessed girl, formerly demon-possessed girl. But when her masters saw that their hope of profit was gone, very interesting. So the masters were done with her. I don't mean to sound crass or overly carnal in saying this, but you hear me say from time to time, it reminds me a lot of a spiritual pimp. A spiritual pimp. You see that a lot in the Old Testament and New Testament, and I've said it before. And I'm not going to stop saying it because, you know, the grotesque nature of a pimp, somebody who befriends a female, befriends a girl, uh, you know, depending on how old or young she is, you know, you see a lot in younger women, young, uh, uh, I, would, I would say like teenagers, and how they're groomed. And then all of a sudden, I, you know, I read about a testimony of a prostitute who's a Christian now. She's a believer, a fellow sister. 
And she gave the account of, you know, how she was involved in that lifestyle. She had no idea what love was. No idea. You know why? Because her dad left her. Her dad left her. Her mom, you know, was on drugs. She had no idea what love was. And finally, somebody who showed her love was a pimp. Used her. And then all of a sudden she got sucked into this lifestyle. And she had no concept of what love was. None whatsoever. And finally somebody told her about Jesus Christ. And she told her, she said, you know what? God doesn't forget about what you've done. God loves you. And her sin was so full, like overflowing to the brim. Felt so worthless and used. And to hear the words, you know, God loves you. He will forgive. He will take you in. And he will be your father. And then all of a sudden she becomes a believer. That's when I say, you know, when I say like a spiritual pimp, it reminds me a lot of this lady. Because look at these masters of the slave girl, former slave girl. Their hope for profit was all gone. The demon girl, the, not the slave girl, she's now free. The demon's gone. Her masters are done with her, so-called masters. And their hope of profit, you see, the love of money. Love of money. You know, the Bible doesn't say money is the root of all evil. The Bible says the love of money is the root of evil. You know, that's why your heart must be on Jesus Christ. Fall in love with Him. You know, for the love of money, people do all kinds of gross things, disgusting things. And we're thinking, you know, carnally, but what, you know, you think about white collar crime too, embezzlement, tax cheats, paying people, you know, under the table. People do these things out of love of money. And love of money begets all kind of wickedness. And this beautiful slave girl is now free. And so look what happens here. You know, this, this uh, 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 slave girl, former slave girl. They, they were, they, her masters were profiting off divination, soothsaying, fortune telling. And she was under the spirit of Python as we talked about last week. Things of the occult. Demonic things. You know, it blows me away. You know, sometimes, you know, you talk to Christian parents. They have no idea what their kids are involved with. They say, oh yeah, my kids are just playing around. You know, they're in, in their room with their friends. And then, you know, you go in the room and what are they doing? They're playing with their Ouija boards. They got their Ouija board out. Things of the occult. You know, don't play games with that stuff. It leaves the door open. We talked about that last week. The door that's left open for things of the occult. Slam that door shut. Throw away the key. And so he says here in verse 19, Dr. Luke records, they seized Paul and Silas. It's a violent seizure. They, they didn't just, you know, 
here, you know, let's gently go over here. They grabbed him and they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace to the authorities. Very interesting when you think about what these, you know, these spiritual pimps refer to as injustice. Oh, we're going to take you to the authorities. These men, they hurt our business, Paul and Silas. They impacted our bottom line. They hit our wallets. We have no profit now because of these men. You know, it's such a trip. Because look at what, the, you know, look at the picture here. The slave girl, former slave girl, she's free. She's free. You know, and Paul and Silas, all they're doing is scattering seeds. Planting and watering. There's no injustice. Biblically, there is zero injustice at all. But what does the world call injustice? What do these uh, 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 spiritual pimps call injustice? You know, oh, look, they hurt our bottom line. They're impacting our business. You know, the Bible teaches us to seek justice. It's a good thing to want justice. You hear people talking about, you know, you see the protests out in the street about injustice. You see it on the news, injustice. But biblically speaking, if God were to apply His justice around the earth, around the globe, we'd all be dead. Biblically, we'd all be dead. You know why? The wages of sin is death. If we were to apply God's justice, God's justice, we'd all be dead. Because the wages of sin is death. But God made a way. God made a way. It's Jesus Christ. That's not to nullify, you know, you've been wronged. Maybe you've done wrong. It's not to just gloss over those things. It's to say, you know what? You need forgiveness. You need Jesus Christ. You need to get on your knees before the Lord and say, Lord, forgive me. I repent. You know, if we were in the days of Noah, you know what I would say? Hey, get in the boat. But there's a prerequisite to getting in the boat. It's yielding to God. So when I say repent and receive Jesus Christ, it's the exact same way of saying, hey, get in the boat. You know why? Because God's justice is coming. Judgment. It's coming. For 2,000 some years, we've been under this, you know, the church age where the door is open. But then the Bible speaks about a time where that door is going to close and it's going to get smaller and smaller and finally it's shut. God's grace. Shut. And then comes God's judgment. That's what I'm saying today. Get in the boat. Get in the ark. Because judgment is coming. You know, you see all these things in the news. You see it all over the place. Injustice here, injustice there. And I'm the first to admit, there's injustice everywhere. You know, blue-collar crime, white-collar crime. You know, it, all kinds of different people all around the world. And if God's justice were really applied on this earth, we'd all be dead. But God, who is rich in grace and mercy, He loves you. He sent his son into the world, not to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. 
Look at how, you know, when you think about this opposition that's coming from, you know, these spiritual pimps, the masters of the former slave girl. Look at what they refer to as the injustice. And then in verse 20, look at what they say. It says, and they brought them to the magistrates and said, these men being Jews exceedingly trouble our city. You know, unbeknownst to them, they're Roman. But that's kind of on the side burner for now. Unbeknownst to them, they're Roman. But they say, these men being Jews exceedingly trouble our city. What a big disturbance these guys are. What a big disturbance this Paul and Silas are. Look at what they've done to our our business, our bottom line. I was making so much money off of this girl. And now look, I'm making zero off of her. I don't need her anymore. And they go to the magistrate and say, hey, these guys don't even belong here in our city. And this is their claim in verse 21. And they teach customs which are not lawful for us being Romans, to receive or observe, to receive or observe. So, you know, it's very interesting because, you know, these are the, the, these uh, uh, masters, the, the masters of this former slave girl. What nice law-abiding citizens they are. Law-abiding citizens. What morally sound people, these guys, following the law. Hey, look, the... You know, we have to go against, uh, 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 we have to go against uh, uh, the law of Rome. If we, you know, listen to these guys. No, they're spiritual pimps. These slave masters, spiritual pimps. Highly, highly carnal. Highly carnal. And so look what happens here in verse 22. Then the multitude, it's interesting here because it translates as, you know, a riot, a mob, and a disorderly, or disorderly crowd. That's this multitude. Then the multitude rose up together. So this riot, this mob of people, they have unity. They're unified. But it's unity among the lawless. You know what this word translates to in the Greek? To rise up together? To resist. Resist. There is in the last days, you know, a unity of the globe. The global citizen that comes against the Christian. That comes against the church. That comes against Jews. We're just, you know, this, these words are written some, you know, 2,000 years ago, give or take a couple years. And we're receiving the blueprints. We're receiving the blueprints. And so it says the multitude rose up together against them. And the magistrates, these authorities, tore off their clothes and commanded them to be beaten with rods. You see? You know what? Injustice, so-called injustice. You know, the world has one idea of what injustice is. But when you read the Bible and yield to Him, He'll teach you, the Holy Spirit will teach you what is right and what is wrong in His eyes. The eyes of man, that's carnal. 
And depending on, you know, their state, possibly even demonic. But that's what's so beautiful about yielding to Jesus Christ and His Word. Remember, the Word became flesh. Because all of a sudden, you start to become transformed when you yield to Him. You don't read the Bible like literature. You read the Bible and He'll teach you and you yield to Him. And a lot of times, you're going to have to repent because of your preconceived notions. The same way I had to repent of my preconceived notions. There were a lot of things that I thought were right, but they were right in my own eyes. And coming upon the truth of God's holy word, I started to realize, whoa, this is wrong. My thoughts about this is wrong. My thoughts about that is wrong. And what I committed thinking this was right, what I committed thinking this was okay, I was wrong. Lord, forgive me. I repent before you. That's called a transformation. That's called being a new creation in Christ Jesus. Reckoning the old man dead. Reckoning the old woman dead. But don't forget, it's not without opposition. Spiritual, among the satanic and demonic realm. But then opposition also in, you know, people around you. Might not be demonic. Maybe they just hate you because you're a Christian. That's one of the... One of the ways you can identify whether this is a, 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 an attack of the flesh or an attack of, you know, in the spirit realm. You know, when somebody hates you, you know, it's most likely an attack against you as a Christian. But when somebody attacks Jesus Christ inside of you, then quite possibly it's demonic. These are things that are going to be amped up in the last days. Amped up hardcore. And we see it already happening. The rise of the Antichrist spirit. Preparing the way for the rise, the introduction and rise of the Antichrist. All these things we've been told. All these things we've been taught. You've heard me say for years now, you know, pastors who don't like teaching eschatology, the events of the last days, pastors who don't like teaching from the book of Revelation, they don't like any mention of the last days. Well, because of that lax attitude, if, if, that, if you're a pastor that teaches that and has that lax attitude, your flock is in harm's way. And you are definitely in harm's way if you're a pastor or elder adhering to those thoughts, not to teach events of the last days. You're definitely in harm's way in the life to come because stricter judgment would be placed on you. It's very important to understand these things. I love, you see, these Paul and Silas What beautiful blueprints the Lord gives us for conduct in the last days. And so all of a sudden in verse 22, then the multitude rose up together against them, against Paul and Silas. And the magistrates tore off their clothes and commanded them to be beaten with rods. That's the penalty, to be beaten with rods. 
in verse 23. And when they had laid many stripes on them or many wounds on them. Very interesting. Remember, a slave is not greater than his master. A slave is not greater than her master. Remember, they beat Christ first. They beat our Lord first. They beat our Messiah first. Son of the Most High God. And they killed him. And a slave is not greater than his or her master. That's what's happening to Paul and Silas right here. They threw them into prison, commanding the jailer to keep them securely. Paul and Silas, lock them up. Remember the entourage, a small group of beautiful godly men? Where's Timothy and Luke? I'm convinced that they're praying. I don't know where they are. Maybe they're at Lydia's house. I'm convinced that they're praying. You know, each and every one of us have our own walks with the Lord. Sometimes when I teach, you know, I teach corporately to a church body. And even now, you know, I do teach corporately. But then at the same time, there's very heavy, special emphasis on each and every one of you as individuals. Because you have your own walk with the Lord. And I say, choose. You know, look at what the Lord is providing for us. We see these biblical examples of what Paul and Silas, what happens with them, what happens to them. Remember, these are warriors for Christ. God is using them. The Holy Spirit is upon them. The Holy Spirit is in them. And God is using them. But it's not without opposition. And so now, you know, they're, they're, they're in prison. You know, they're they're commanding the jailer to keep them securely. In verse 24, having received such a charge, he, speaking about the jailer, the jailer put them into the inner prison. So like, not just like the outside, you know, wall of the prison to go, you know, beyond that, to go inside to the inner prison and fasten their feet in the stocks. You know, it shows a lot about these masters, you know, the, uh, uh, the, 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 the masters of the slave girl former slave girl. These guys had connections. Perhaps upper class society, high society. Influencers. You know, very, very popular these days. Everybody wants to be an influencer. You know, how many, how many followers, followers do you have on social media? And if you reach a certain benchmark, you're officially an influencer. You know what that shows me? There's a whole lot of followers. A whole lot of lemmings in the last days. Don't be like that. Let Jesus Christ be your Lord. Let Him influence your decisions in life. Let Him influence your behavior, your conduct, everything. Let the Holy Spirit do His work inside of you. All these influencers of the world, forget them. So these masters, they had their connections. You know, influencers over people. 
authorities, the legal system, even the jail system. Remember, their hope was in profit. And their love of money did not exclude things demonic because they were profiting off of it. Straight up profiting off of things demonic. The, the girl who was uh, possessed by a demon. And so now these beautiful, beautiful godly men, they're now in jail, in the inner prison. And their feet are bound. And look at verse 25. But at midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God and the prisoners were listening to them. I love verse 25 so much. Paul and Silas were praying supplicating is what that means which is to earnestly and humbly ask and request of the lord make your supplications known to the lord and singing hymns which is to celebrate praise and worship god in song and through song you see how beautiful this is paul and silas were praying and singing hymns to god you know what i love about this what is it that we don't see what's happening here? Paul didn't start invoking his Roman citizenship. You don't see him like, you know, banging on the bars. Hey, I'm Roman. There's no plotting their avenging. There's no, you know, oh, you know, how dare these people? This is so, this is so wrong. You know, we have our rights. Let me call my lawyer or let's, you know, have a, a prison bust. You don't see that. Remember, they have many stripes and wounds. The beatdown is done. You know, if you've ever been in a fight before, physical fight, if you've ever lost a fight before, what happened? You know, when the adrenaline kicks in, you're in a brawl, and the adrenaline kicks in, you know, you feel it. You can literally feel it going through your veins. You're just like this huge burst of energy. You're numb to pain. But what happens when the adrenaline, you know, goes down the adrenaline wears off it subsides then you start to feel things like whoa i guess i did get cut you know well i guess my eye is split open you feel it in your bones you feel it in your muscles that's what happens when the adrenaline goes away it's so cool how the lord created us you know, the, uh, just the fact that we have adrenaline, you know, a little safety mechanism in our body. But then, you know, here you have these beautiful men of God. And they're beaten. Imagine what their adrenaline, their, everything must have been pumping like crazy. And then all of a sudden when everything starts to subside, you really feel it. You feel the, the bruises. You feel the cuts. You feel, you feel it. And, you know, today, you know, we have aspirin, you know, we can, you know, there's medication and I'm not advocating, you know, pain meds. But what I love so much about this with Paul and Silas, you see a picture of how dead they are. Dead to self and alive in Christ. You see a picture of how dead these men are really are. You see, and they're in prison. It's midnight. 
are they doing? Supplicating, earnestly and humbly, and humbly seeking the Lord, and celebrating and praising and worshiping God through song. And there's ears around them. The prisoners were listening to them. You know what that translates to in the Greek? The captives were intently listening. How unheard of is that? You need to see, put yourself in the prison. And say you're in prison for something you did. I mean, like, you know, maybe you killed somebody. Maybe you robbed somebody. Maybe you stole whatever. What, you know, you're in prison. And you see these two guys, they're thrown in there. Their feet are locked up. Freshly beaten down. And then all of a sudden, maybe you saw a couple guys like that the day before or the night before, and they started cursing, cussing, say, oh, when I'm out of here, I'm going to kill those guys. I'm going to avenge this. You know, those magistrates better watch out because I'm going to get them. But no, here these two guys come in, and what do they do? They start praying. I mean, if you've ever been to jail, you know, it's like you hear things. You could be sitting in your cell. You hear things. You know, somebody starts singing, you know, you hear it and you're like, whoa, you know, that's, what is he singing? That guy's got a good voice. You know, you hear words like, what is he, what words is he saying? Picture the jail cell, like two or three or four cells down. They could hear like, what, these guys just got freshly beaten and they're worshiping this God, what, what kind of God is that that landed him here in jail? I love this so much because their witness, the witness of Paul and Silas is speaking. And these captives are intently listening. In verse 26, suddenly there was a great earthquake so that the foundation foundations of the prison were shaken and immediately all the doors were open and everyone's chains were loosed. You see, provision. You heard me say at the beginning, you know, uh, God's provision has nothing to do with money. Sometimes it does. But look at what we see with God's provision here. God is with Paul and Silas. Not just in the outer prison, in the straight up inner prison. God is there with them. Look at Everyone's chains were loosed. Everyone's chains were loosed. Now, look what happens here. And the keeper of the prison, the jailer, awaking from sleep and seeing the prison doors open, supposing the prisoners had fled, drew his sword and was about to kill himself. Suicide is the answer. That's what he thought. I wonder what Satan was whispering in his ear. You know what? Just kill yourself. You know, these magistrates, the, the, the authorities, they don't play around. Remember, they said, hey, put Paul and Silas in prison, not just in the outer cells, put them in the inner prison. So they were put in the inner prison, and boom, the legs were shackled. Shackled at the ankles. You see, and it's like, whoa, all the doors are open. The jailer says, you know what? I'm going to kill myself. I'm going to be dead anyway, so I'm going to kill myself. You see, you know where God is at work, Satan is also at work. 
Suicide is never the answer. Never. Look what happens here in verse 28. But Paul called with a loud voice saying, Do yourself no harm, for we are all, we are all here. So the, the, the chains are loose, the doors are open, and you know, Paul and Silas, they say, hey, don't kill yourself. We're all here. You see, freedom in Christ has nothing to do with your station in life. Even with bars of iron. Because salvation is a free gift of God. Satan, the demonic realm, will whisper sweet nothings in your ear. Why don't you just blow your brains out? Why don't you just jump off a bridge? That's what Satan does. And his minions, the demonic realm. Suicide is never the answer. Never. And I tell you, as with two failed suicide attempts in my past. The first time I was too chicken to, you know, push all the way down on my wrist. A little blood came out and then I just chickened out. And then the second time I said, no way, I'm not going to chicken out. So I was driving in Los Angeles for six miles. With my eyes closed, I undid my seatbelt. Stepped on the gas and closed my eyes. And I didn't just close my eyes gently. I had them shut. You couldn't lift my eyes open with if you had all the strength in the world. I had my eyes shield shut. And I was driving. Seatbelt off. I was ready to fly through that windshield. I wanted, I was desperate to fly through that windshield. And stepped on the gas and there I was. 1972 Chevy Nova. Going down the 10 freeway for six miles, eyes closed. You see, suicide is never the answer. God was gracious to me and merciful to me. You know why? So I could tell you today that suicide is not the answer. To tell you there's always hope in Jesus Christ. Always. If you're contemplating suicide, you know what I say? Do yourself no harm. Be free in Christ. Because he'll loose your chains. Those doors will open. These are things that I, I was blind to at one point in my life. I was blind to these things. Because that's what Satan wanted. I was giving ear to Satan. He said, you know what? Why don't you just slit your wrists? And then I chickened out. He says, you know what? It'd be so cool if you flew through the windshield. And in my mind, I was like, yeah, you're right. I lent him ear. And the Lord was gracious to me. It's never the answer. Never. And people drink themselves to oblivion. People do all their crack. They do all their sex. They do all their whatever. Because they, they want the feel good. And I tell you, you know, in my old self, I was a committer of some disgusting things. Suicidal thoughts even. 
And then at the same time, it's like, well, I tell you the truth. It's like there's nothing better than life in Christ. Nothing. I've tried a lot too. There's nothing better than a life in Christ. So the Lord was merciful to me and gracious to me to tell you, do yourself no harm. That's what Paul says here. He says to the jailer, do yourself no harm. We're all here. In verse 29, then, you know, speaking about the jailer, he called for a light, ran in and fell down trembling before Paul and Silas. Remember, this is the one who straight up locked them up. Not the outer prison, the inner prison. Straight up, he locked them up. And now he fell down trembling before Paul and Silas. And he brought them out and said, Sirs. Very interesting. This is a reference to their authority. It's like calling them Lord. Lowercase l. It's like calling them Lord. He brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? You see how beautiful this question is? This is the witness of Paul and Silas, which spoke loud and clear. You know, you hear the saying, preach the gospel when necessary, use words. This is a biblical example of that very concept. Because you didn't see Paul and, and Silas, you know, they weren't preaching the gospel. You know why? Their witness was doing it for them. They were praying and singing hymns to God. And the prisoners were listening to them. Intently listening. You know, the earthquake comes, everything's loose, the doors were opened, and everyone's chains were loosed. You know, it's like how many people would have ran? Yeah, we're free. Let's get out of here. Run before they catch us. But no. The witness of Paul and Silas preached the gospel. Told them about Jesus Christ and God's love for these people in prison. You see, that's why no matter the station, no matter the station in life, you know, I tell you too, as somebody who's been to jail, sometimes, you know, I, I talk to, you know, crying moms. You know, oh man, my son's in jail. It's so sad. And I'm like, wow, praise the Lord. And the moms get mad at me. What do you mean, praise the Lord? I'm like, wow, jail worked wonders for me. These beautiful, beautiful iron bars. Jails were, worked wonders for me. So, you know, you're, you, you hear these crying moms, oh, my son's in jail, my husband's in jail, my whatever's in jail. It's like, wow, praise be to the Lord. Maybe he'll be able to hear, you know, the Lord. Maybe he's brought to a place of humility to where his heart can receive the things of the Lord. Maybe. But, you know, that's what happens when truth goes forth. You know, either humility or pride. That's between a person and the Lord. I can't make a person be humble. You can't make a person be humble. You see, it's between a person and his or her maker. And so this jailer goes to them. <clears throat> And says, sirs, what must I do to be saved? It's so beautiful because it's like, well, it's like he's asking. 
In verse 31, so they said, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved, you and your household. You see, their authority, their authority, these so-called prisoners. Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house. There's something I have to say about humility. It's, it, it's very disarming, disarming. Think about the jailer when he had his pride and power. Okay, you know, I have these two guys, Paul and Silas. The, the authorities, they say, put them in the inner prison. So, boom, I'm going to here. You guys are coming with me here. Here's your jail, jail cell. Here, we're going to lock up your feet. All these things. Okay, boom, power and authority. But what happens when you remove the jailer's position of power? He was going to kill himself straight up. And what happens? You see, he's disarmed of carnal things. His power, his pride, he's disarmed from these things. What does that mean? It means his heart is now fertile. Fertile soil, able to receive God's thing, God's goodness, holy things. That's why you know mom's call is, oh yeah, you know my son's in jail. You know, what an injustice. What did he do? Why is he in jail? Oh, they, you know, they, that's beside the point. Well, is he in jail for nothing? Well, something about drugs. It's, well... Kind of, it's illegal, you know. He's in jail. And I'm like, wow, praise the Lord. What do you mean, praise the Lord? Because it's disarming. Praise be to the Lord because it's disarming. It helps a person bring them to their knees. It's, it's how a heart can go from, you know, hard to soft immediately when you're in jail. I'll put it another way. A heart can go from stone to circumcision in jail. What do you mean circumcision? Well, it's a picture of your heart. When your heart is right before the Lord, it means you're of the circumcision. You don't have a hard heart. We're going to talk about that more when we get in the book of Romans pretty soon. Book of Romans. Being a people of the circumcision. Having a soft heart before the Lord. We see all these things that are happening here in Acts chapter 16. What a loaded chapter this is. Because yes, they had opposition, what we studied last week, in the demonic. But now they have opposition that's, that's coming against them. From the magistrates, from the, you know, the, uh, 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 the masters of the former slave girl. And that's why as Christians, you know, we have to be wise as serpents and peaceful as doves. Wise as serpents and peaceful as doves. What does that mean? What does that look like? Well, the Lord is giving us blueprints here. He's teaching us about these things. And it's to say, you know, like, it's not to say, hey, let's have a revolt. Because you're seeing straight up. You know, like, that's, that's an indicator of, you know, like, when somebody comes, comes against you, 
And in your mind, in your heart, you're measuring, okay, is this spiritual or is this carnal? Well, when they hate you, it's most likely carnal when they hate you. Never forget that. But when they hate Christ in you, when they mock Christ in you, and you know it's probably spiritual. And when I say spiritual, I mean demonic. It's all spiritual battle because we're called to win souls. We're called, we're called to be fishers of men, making disciples, not to make converts, making disciples. What does that mean? Learners of Christ. You know, if somebody wants to be a learner of Christ, they have to be confronted with truth. You can't exclude truth from the gospel. You, can, you know, a lot of times people do that because they turn the gospel into a sales pitch. A mere sales pitch. And I'm telling you this as a salesman. That's my trade in this, in this world. You know, Paul was a tent maker. I'm a salesman. But salvation is the power of God. The gospel of Jesus Christ is the power of God unto salvation. That's what the Bible says. It's not a sales pitch. When people turn it into a sales pitch, they remove truth. Because it's not a mere sales pitch. It's the power of God unto salvation. Never forget that. Ever, 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 ever. It's part of the gifting of the Holy Spirit. That's what you're going to see in the last days. You're going to see the exposure of people who don't have oil for their lamps. Now is the time, dear Christian. Now is the time, beloved Christian, beloved brother and sister in Christ. Now is the time to store oil for your lamps. Now. If you haven't done it before this point, start right now. Start today. And don't stop because the Holy Spirit, the restrainer, is going to be lifted one day. Further into the last days. But I can also say a little bit further into the last days. And then you're really going to see hell on earth. Literally hell on earth. And you're going to be see, exposed to Christians. Wise and foolish, you're going to see them exposed if they're not being exposed already. The Lord is straight up giving us blueprints. And so look what happens here in verse 32. Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house. You know, imagine Paul and Silas when they first encountered the jailer. If they started speaking the word of the Lord to him, you know what they would have been doing? Casting pearls before swine. Casting pearls to the pigs. But no, through the events of what the Lord has done through his provision. Now remember, the jailer was going to commit suicide. He was going to kill himself. But no, when he sees that, wow, everybody's here. What is it that these guys have said? What is it that they're praying? You know, what is it that they're singing? What is it that they have? What authority they must have for all these jailers? You know, this guy's a this guy's a criminal, this guy's a criminal, this guy's they could have ran away, but everybody's here. What kind of authority do these guys have? Scratch that. Verse 30. Sirs, 
What must I do to be saved? This jailer is completely disarmed. He's brought to a state of humility by the witness of Paul and Silas. And then all of a sudden, his heart is fertile. His ears are prepared. And so in verse 32, they spoke the word of the Lord to him and all who were in his house. You see, he's no longer swine. And that's what's so cool. You know, the Bible teaches us don't cast your pearls before swine. And there's something disarming about the events of the last days. When you read Revelation, when you read prophecies about the buildup of Revelation, even during the, the tribulation, there's going to be something incredibly disarming about earthquakes, pestilence, just like the earthquake that happened here. Pestilence, hail that kills people. And people are going to be praying to Buddha, praying to, you know, the Virgin Mary. Doing whatever, their chakras. And, you know, earthquake number one, earthquake number two. Oh, you know, my son is killed by a big hailstone. And Buddha's not helping me. You tell them about Jesus Christ. There's something incredibly disarming about these things of the last days, these events of the last days. And you speak the word. You speak the word of the Lord to them when this happens. You know, you're not a hypocrite. You have plenty of oil for your lamps because you started storing oil for your lamps. You're being obedient to Jesus Christ and his word. You're of the circumcision. And then all of a sudden the Lord is going to use you. You see how he works, these blueprints that he gives us? You know, when I say humility is disarming, I've been talking about the jailer, but think about Paul and Silas too. Their level of humility. Because they weren't planning their escape. They weren't planning their vengeance. Oh, I'm going to kill this jailer. When this jailer comes by and tries to give me some food, you know what? I'm going to grab his arm and I'm going to break his arm at the elbow. You know, they're not thinking like that. That's carnally minded. I would say, you know, depending on the level of carnality, you know, probably demonic too. Sometimes people have been exposed to violence to where that's, that's kind of their backdrop. And the Lord can free a person from that mentality as well. Verse 33, and he took them the same hour of the night and washed, washed their stripes. Notice what's happening now. The jailer is now a friend and comforter. Look at verse 32. The, the jailer, they're in the house of the jailer now. And the jailer is straight up washing them. Wash their stripes. He's now a friend and a comforter. And immediately, he and his family were baptized. This jailer is now a brother in Christ. The family, I don't know you know how many females were there, how many males were there, but brothers and sisters in Christ. 
It's a different family. Biologically unrelated. Spiritually related. It's a completely different family. You know, I've been called a homewrecker. I've been called a destroyer of families. Don't forget that the wheat and the tares have to grow together until the harvest. Never, ever forget that. And then at the same time, don't forget what the Lord himself tells us. In Matthew. Matthew 10, verse 34. Jesus Christ, straight up red letters in my Bible, says, do not think that I came to bring peace on earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. He says, I came to divide. For I have come to set a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a man's enemies will be those of his own household. He who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And he who does not take his cross and follow after me is not worthy of me. He who finds his life will lose it. And he who loses his life for my sake will find it. These are hardcore words from our Lord himself. So it used to bug me when people would call me a destroyer of families and a homewrecker. It used to bother me a lot. Because really, it's, you know, when you're a messenger of God's word, it's part of the gig. And I don't mean to, you know, discredit the Lord by referring to a calling of the Lord to call it a mere gig. Because it's not. It's a calling. But it's part of the call, I should have said. It's part of the call. And if you're a pastor or elder and you're a man pleaser, you need to repent. If you're a pastor or elder and your goal is to please man, you need to repent. You need to please the Lord. Be obedient to Him. Be obedient to His words. And you know what? People will hate you. People will leave. Maybe, you know, people, tithers will leave. But they're not tithers. People in your fellowship, they're God's flock, God's people. And if people, you know, if they want, it's one of the signs of the last days. People will heap up for themselves teachers that will tickle their ears. They want to go to church and feel good about themselves. They want to be caught up in all kinds of sin and come to church and not feel conviction. But you know what? That's part of the gig. Because that's what God's Word does. That's what the Holy Spirit does. Convicts. His Word convicts. You know why? Because He wants to bring about repentance. He wants people to change and yield to Him. And if you're a man pleaser, oh pastor, oh elder, you're not a God pleaser. And you know what? In the life to come, your judgment will be severe. I'm not trying to hurt anybody's feelings in saying it like this, but it's truth. 
It's a fact. People might start calling you a homewrecker, a destroyer of families. And remember these words of our Lord when he says, For I have come to set, to set, which means to alienate. For I have come to set a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a man's enemies will be those of his own household. Praise be to the Lord. As painful as it is to say that, praise be to the Lord. You say, wow, that's so harsh. How could you you advocate, you know, uh, destroying families? I'm not. I'm just the messenger. You know what that says to parents? Teach your kids well. Start young. Because you know what? Satan starts very young. You know, sex education to kindergartners. Kindergartners starting to learn about, you know, transgender, trans... You know what? I don't know the words anymore. For kindergartners. You say, wow, don't, you know, sexual freedom. I'm not talking about sexual freedom. I'm saying, hey, come out of that lifestyle. Repent and believe in Jesus Christ. You know why? Because judgment is coming. Straight up judgment is coming. And it's going to be worse than Sodom and Gomorrah. Worse than... Chorazin. It's going to be worse. You call me crazy now. You know, I tell people that, you know, a judgment is coming. Because, oh, you're crazy. You believe in fairy tales. Okay. Don't say you weren't told. You know, it's such a trip because it's like all these things are coming to pass and Jesus Christ says I tell you things before they happen so that when they happen you might believe it's one of the beauty beautiful things of prophecy people are going to start to see these things happen peace in Israel with her neighbors hmm i remember this guy i called a crackpot he said this was going to happen where did he say that? It was in the Bible somewhere. You see? The Lord gave us blueprints. And that's when I say, you know, it's so disarming, these events of the last days. Just like the earthquake that happened here in this prison. What about the coming earthquakes? They're going to be on the rise. It's disarming. People are going to pray to Buddha and Buddha will fail them. People are going to pray to Mary and Mary will fail them. People are going to do their, you know, Reiki stuff. They're going to do their Kundalini stuff. And all of it will fail them. Be wise in the last days. Be a wise fisherman in the last days. And be a warrior. Be a storer of oil for your lamp. Because there's safety. There's safety in the counsel of God's word. The jailer. 
The word of the Lord goes to him and all who were in his house. And so in verse 33, And he took them the same hour of the night and washed their stripes, and immediately he and all his family were baptized. Praise be to the Lord. You see what the Lord is doing here? Now, it says in verse 34, Now when he had brought them into his house, so, you know, they're like, what what prison guard would take somebody from jail and bring them to their house to meet their family? It's unheard of. It's unheard of, carnally speaking. That's right. I'm never going to stop saying this. It's a different church. These are different Christians. When we read the book of Acts, these are different Christians. This is like straight up. These are hardcore Christians. And the Lord is at work through them. Souls are being saved through them. Christians today, you know, I love brothers and sisters in Christ. But carnality, you know, you want to get drunk. You want to do your crack. You want to do, you know, it's like, okay, well, you know, if you're in Christ, don't do those things anymore. You want to do your sexual stuff? Repent. Don't do those things anymore. As much as I hear Christians say, man, I want to be used of the Lord. I wonder if the Lord is saying the exact same thing. Man, I want to use you. And I wonder if the Lord is saying, I can't use you yet. Because of, boom, whatever it is. Because of your addiction to sex. Because of your addiction to drugs. Because of your addiction to alcohol. Because of your occult. Because your sons and daughters are demon-possessed. Fill in the blank. People tell me all the time, I want to be used of the Lord. And I wonder if the Lord is saying the same thing. It's to yield to Him. Let the Lord do His work inside of you first. And then the Lord will call you into His service. And when He calls you into His service, yeah, you love God and you love people. But you love God first and foremost. You know, love people. But because you love God more than people, people can leave, people can hate you, people can call you all kinds of names. People can even beat you. But you know what? Praise be to the Lord. You can rejoice because you've been counted worthy to suffer shame for the name of Jesus Christ. And so look what happens here in verse 34. Now when he had brought them into his house, he set food before them. So he washed the Paul and Silas, his former prisoners. He washed them, washed their stripes, their wounds. And now he set food before them here. Have a meal. And he rejoiced, having believed in God with all his household. What a night this is. You know, start in verse 25. You know, actually earlier. When they were thrown in prison in one night. What a night this is. But you see God's provision. God's provision. I don't know, you know, I don't know if Paul and Silas were hungry. If they even thought about food because they just got beat down. They just got wounded in stripes, many stripes. And God is providing a meal for them. 
That's what I mean when I say God's provision in real time, just like we studied last week in real time. Because you know why I say in real time? Because you see missionaries today, they say, oh, you know what? The Lord has called me to Zimbabwe. And if you want to be a part, it's kind of a guilt trip. If you would like to be a part of what God is doing, you know what Christian doesn't want to be a part of God's handiwork? I hate it when people say, because it's like, wait a second. How, how are you telling me if I want to be a part of what God is doing? If God, if you want to be a part of what God is doing, you'll give me $2,000 a month. Well, you know, the, the, the value of a dollar is way different than where you're going. The currency rate is way different. You know, it's with $5, you can pay rent. Why do you need $2,000 a month? Well, you know, I got to pay for my health care. I got to pay for get my, you know, I want to make sure I'm funding my, my IRA. You know, I'm with this organization that they have their 401k. I want to make sure that I'm fully funded in my 401k. You talk to, it's like, wow. You talk to other people, it's like, they don't even have their 401ks. They don't even have their IRA. If you want to be a part of what God is doing, then you'll give me $2,000 a month. And then I can go out and do this. But if I don't have X amount of dollars, then I can't do this. You don't want that to happen to the Lord. You don't want to say no to God, do you? I've heard these before. I'm not just pulling this out of my hat. I've heard this before. It's like, what are you talking about? You read the Bible and what do you see? Real-time provision. Real-time provision. Sometimes people say, hey, you know, uh, the Lord has called me to Zimbabwe. It's like, praise the Lord. Yeah, this is a clear phone signal. I didn't know that, you know, I can talk to you in Zimbabwe and it's like, you know, it's like you're still here in town. Oh, oh I, I should have told you. I haven't gone yet. I'm still here in town. What are you doing? I thought you said the Lord called you. Haven't you read the book of Jonah? I thought you said the Lord called you to Zimbabwe. What are you doing here? Oh, I can't go unless I have $5,000 a month minimum. Well, the Lord didn't call you. If he did, go. Get out of here, go. Follow him, obey him. You see, this is part and parcel of spiritual warfare. To understand these things, to test the spirits, to be a Berean, to test the spirits to see whether they're of the Lord or not. Because Satan presents himself as an angel of light. Some people, people say, you know, oh, the Lord has called me into this ministry. What's the ministry? Oh, I'm going to help these, you know, prostitutes. And then so they go and do it. Oh, yeah, the Lord has called me. And all of a sudden they fall. Then you backtrack. Okay, where was it that you had the shield down? Was it here? Was it here? Or was it at the call, what you perceive to be a call? Was it all a big setup? It's part of spiritual warfare. Oh yeah, the call the Lord has called me into this ministry to help the drug addicts. Okay, cool. Have you tested the spirits? Oh, God would want this for them. You know, God wants good things for them, doesn't he? Well, you still have to test the spirits because an angel of light, you might have been hearing from Satan or you know, a demon who presented himself as an angel of light. Oh, that's crazy, you know. God is good, you know. And yeah, God is good. 
But he doesn't call anybody to be stupid. So people go into their drug ministry and what happens? They themselves become crackheads. Is to look back and say, where is the fall? Was it at point B? Was it at point C? Or was it at the beginning at point A? Was it Satan that called you into that so-called ministry? Wisdom. We have to be wise. Wisdom in the last days. It's not to say God doesn't, you know, these people who have come off drugs, praise the Lord. It's not to say God doesn't love them. It's not to say God doesn't want to help them. It's to be wise and say, maybe it's not for you. Maybe this sex ministry isn't for you. You know, this prostitution ministry, bringing people out of, you know, sinful lifestyles. Maybe it's not for you. Or maybe it is for you, but not in that spearhead, you know, uh, position. Maybe you're an admin. Maybe you can work in the back office. Not exposed to, you know, the actual prostitutes. Because of your own carnality. Or to serve as prayer warriors. Just like those in Maria's house. What we, in Mary's house, what we read, you know, a couple chapters ago. When Peter was in prison. Maybe you can support a ministry in prayer. Maybe you can support a ministry in funding. I mean, maybe you could support a ministry in being the spirit and being in the front lines. But test the spirits. Because it might be Satan that wants, to, wants you to fall. It might be an attack. That you think is, you know, wrapped up in holiness. But really, it's wrapped up in wickedness. It's a setup. You see, all these things that we learn from Holy Scripture. What a night this is for Paul and Silas. Their prison experience. The jailers and his household are now baptized in Christ. You know, when you see you read Paul's letters, especially the churches that are in the region of Macedonia, like the church in Corinth, like the, the, um, the church in Thessalonica, all these churches in the region. Remember, there's former prisoners in this church. Paul is writing these letters. And they go to Christians, and a lot of them are like home fellowships. These are former prisoners. Jailer. So we're seeing like, you know, as much as we say like, you know, uh, brothers and sisters in Christ, these are people that we're going to read about in, you know, when we get to the first and second Corinthians, when we get to uh, 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 Thessalonian letters. That's so beautiful to see how the Lord can pull somebody out of any lifestyle. Remember, the jailer wanted to kill himself. In carnal wisdom, in the wisdom of the world, the jailer wanted to kill himself. You know, if you're in a situation where you want to kill yourself, don't listen to that voice. That's satanic and demonic. 
you say, oh, but I went to church and my pastor says that, you know, this, you know, pastor who committed suicide is in heaven now. Well, he can't say that. Biblically speaking, he can't say that. That's not for, you know, that's not for him to say. What does the Bible say? Yeah, but this pastor said this, this pastor said that. I don't care. What does the Bible have to say? Do yourselves no harm. So let's look at what happens here in verse 35. And when <clears throat> and when it was day, the magistrates sent the officers saying, <clears throat> let those men go. Let those men go. So the keeper of the prison reported these words to Paul saying, the magistrates have sent to let you go. <clears throat> now, therefore, depart and go in peace. So you read that and you think like, wow, it's good news, right? They officially got word that they're free from prison, from the magistrates, from the authorities. <clears throat> they officially got word. And you're like, wow, praise the Lord. This is good, right? Yes, it's good. But we see a picture of Paul's stubbornness. You know, and I don't mean that in a negative way. I mean, you know, righteous stubbornness. I don't know if there's such a thing as, you know, righteous stubbornness. But, you know, I see Paul and you see a little bit of his stubbornness. You know, righteous stubborn. Just like there's righteous indignation, you see a little picture of righteous stubbornness. Because what he does is he starts to use the law as a fighting tool. Use the law of the land as a mechanism, as a tool of offense. Look what happens here in verse 37. But Paul said to them, they have beaten us openly uncondemned remember there's no trial that's what he meant that's what he's saying here they beat us out in public with no trial us as romans he says they have beaten us openly uncondemned romans and have thrown us into prison and now do they put us out secretly no indeed exclamation point that's what i mean when i say paul's you know righteous stubbornness no no, indeed, he says. Let them come themselves and get us out. So he's using the law of the land as a tool in this fight of offense. And me personally, I believe this is a hardcore message for the last day's church. For the last day's church. When they throw you into prison. When they beat you. It's so beautiful how we have these blueprints set before us. In verse 38, And the officers told these words to the magistrates, and they were afraid when they heard that they were Romans. You know, the invocation of Roman citizenship, it came after the beating, after the imprisonment. Now, Paul is saying, hey, you know what? You also see a picture of Silas. He's Roman too. Paul and Silas are Roman. Yeah, they're Jews, but they're Roman. And under Roman law, there has to be a trial. You can't just throw a Roman into jail. That's why these magistrates, they were scared. They were like, whoa. It says they were afraid when they heard that they were Romans. Because uh, the, 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 the slave masters... The, the, the spiritual pimps, 
the guys who love money and were profiting off the demon-possessed girl, slave girl, they were the ones who said, in verse 20, these men, being Jews, exceedingly trouble our city. And you know what? Paul, Silas, they could have said at that point, hey, we're not, you know, we're Jews, yeah, but we're Roman. But no, they didn't invoke that. They denied their rights. And now you see, see Paul's righteous stubbornness in the invocation of their citizenship of Rome. In verse 39, Then they came and pleaded with them and brought them out and asked them to depart from the city. What a complete role reversal. The very ones who had them beaten are now, you know, saying, Oh, I'm sorry, guys. I'm sorry. I didn't know you were Roman. You know, don't let this go public. What a reversal of course here. Then you see a picture of God's handiwork. God's favor. God's favor. You say, what do you mean God's favor? They were beaten and thrown in prison. If you're a pastor, if you're an elder, if you're a missionary, if you're a Bible teacher, persecution is part of the gig. It's part of the call. Get used to it. Because it's going to get worse and worse and worse and worse and worse. Get used to it. In verse 40, so they went out of the prison and entered the house of Lydia. You see, beautiful Lydia. Here she is again. We talked about her last week. And here we are talking about it again. They went to her house. And when they had seen the brethren, they encouraged them and departed. They exhorted them and comforted them. And then they departed. You see how beautiful Acts 16 is? I have to say something in closing. A special message for pastors and elders, Bible teachers, and missionaries. It's kind of hardcore too. If you're a pastor... If you're an elder, if you're a Bible teacher, if you're a missionary, let your behavior and witness protect the sheep. I'll say it again. Let your behavior and witness protect the sheep. What if Paul led an insurrection? What if Paul said, I'm a Jew, but you know what? I profess Jesus Christ and I'm also a Roman citizen. Get your hands off me. To arms, you know, and all of a sudden he takes a sword and starts, you know, slashing away. An insurrection led by Paul and Silas. You know, when they left, when they departed, you know, when if they did that, and I'm not trying to imply heresy, but if they had done that, they leave town onto the next town. What would have happened to Lydia? The women's fellowship. What would have happened to the small church that was growing? Young believers. Young lambs. They would have been in harm's way. You know, we live in a weird state right now. With this coronavirus rioting all over the place, it's a weird state for Christians. You have to be wise. You 
you must be wise. You know, I'm not saying, you know, forget about your rights. But there might be times when you have to deny your rights for the sake of the fellowship, for the sake of the church, for the sake of God's flock. There might be times, oh pastor. There might be times, oh elder. There might be times, oh Bible teacher or missionary. Where you have to deny your rights for the sake of the sheep. For the sake of the lambs. What happens? You know, we see real-time examples of pastors who stand firm in their rights as American citizens. And then what happens? Their churches get burned to the ground. Where are the, where's the flock going to fellowship? Where is there going to be the fellowship, the gathering of the saints? Or the churches say, yeah, we're going to have church. There's a government shutdown. We're going to have church. The churches get burned down. Cars get destroyed. God's flock is put in harm's way. You know, it's, it's not widespread, but it's going to grow worse and worse and worse in the last days. As the spirit of the Antichrist permeates the land, the school system. The spirit of the Antichrist has already been in the school system. We're just seeing the fruit of it. This young millennial generation, Generation Z that comes after them. Pastor, elder, missionary, Bible teacher, you deny your rights. You might have to do that to protect the sheep, to protect the lambs. And you know what? To the point of death, maybe. To the point of death as prophesied. When power is given to the Antichrist to kill the saints. In order to protect the sheep, in order to protect the lambs, you deny your rights, quite possibly to the point of death, as taught in Holy Scripture. I don't say that lightly. There's a lot of implications to the things I say. Which means what? Be wise as serpents and peaceful as doves. Even when your flesh wants to cry out to arms. Even when your flesh, your carnal nature, wants to start an insurrection. Wisdom. God's guiding. God's leading. God's direction. God's provision. We see it here in Acts 16. Not just Acts 16. We've seen it in the previous chapters. And we're going to see it more and more and more in the book of Acts. And then after the book of Acts, we're going to get into Romans and start the epistles. And you know what Paul writes? You know what? You know the exhortation to Timothy, to Titus? You know what James writes, what Peter writes? Letters to churches, letters to Christians saying, hey, don't forget about the things we taught you. Don't forget about what we told you in the book of Acts. Don't forget about what the Lord teaches us in the Gospels. The church today has forgotten. I don't say that as a heavy indictment against the church. 
I say that as a means to urge the church and waking them up to say, hey, wake up. The time is near. Store oil. You might not need it today, but you'll definitely need it tomorrow. Definitely. Without a doubt, 100%. You will definitely definitely need oil for your lamp tomorrow. As we progress further and further and further, and the days get darker and darker and darker, and we enter what the Bible prophesies is the last days. The final seven years of world history. We're not there yet. But it might come sooner than people think. To be ready. To be on guard. The Lord teaches us how to fight. You see, where's the insurrection that Paul led? Non-existent. You won't see it. Carnally speaking. But you'll see the insurrection that he advocates spiritually. Which is in oneself first. That's why he writes these letters to the to the churches. Hey, don't forget. Don't forget. He weeps for the church. Have I become your enemy because I tell you the truth? He tells the church in court, have I labored for you in vain? You see, it's to remind the church. Hey, get back to the things I taught you. And the same could be said of the church today. Hey, get back to the things that the Lord teaches us from his holy word. And a hardcore message for church leadership to include uh, uh, missionaries. It's highly likely, if not highly probable, where you'll have to deny your rights for the sake of the sheep. Possibly even deny your life for the sake of the sheep. Praise be to the Lord. To live is Christ, to die is gain. God bless you. Love you guys.